0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. standing for just a minute longer. Uh, we're going to do something today for Easter, which is recite... A liturgy, And so this is a call and response. And this is kind of new for us, but if you're a guest here today, this may be brand new. So there's going to be words on the screen. The words in yellow are the words I want all of you all to say. And I will say the words in white. Does that work? All right, we'll give it a shot. Christ is risen. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. I invite you to remain standing just a moment longer as we read our passage from Second Corinthians chapter four. You're welcome to read this along with me. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well so glad to see you all this morning. If you are a guest, my name's Brant and so honored that you chose to spend your Easter Sunday worshiping with us. Uh, When we consider Easter, we know that Easter exists in a world of incredible suffering, incredibly dark realities. And so how is it that we come to a point of celebration and joy on this morning? Well, one of the realities for our time in our place is that we actually largely have certain expectations for how our life will go. And most of those expectations, especially for younger folks, are that our lives will be relatively problem-free and comfortable. And yet, that is not the case throughout the majority of church history and history of the world, as well as across most of the world. Most people throughout most of time and in most of history have Expected difficulty, have expected there to be suffering in life. And that was certainly the case when the New Testament documents were written. And one of the individuals who experienced the most suffering was a man by the name of Paul. Now, Paul had initially been named Saul, and Saul was a Jewish leader. He was a powerful man in the Jewish world, and he was persecuting Christians. He was convinced that Jesus was a fraud, that the followers of Jesus were, uh, were following a man who was a fraud. And, and therefore, he gave his life to, to persecuting the church until the resurrected Jesus that Paul had said doesn't exist, that, that he's not truly the Messiah, that his followers are corrupt, appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and in glory unlike anything he had ever seen, he saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus. He fell off of his horse. He was blinded. And from that point forward, everything changed in Paul's life. He now gave his life to telling other people about the resurrected Jesus. He experienced, he writes, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, Riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Uh, all of these extreme difficulties, extreme sufferings. And yet in the midst of all of this, we see that he maintained hope. Uh, he not only maintained hope, but he even experienced joy. And, and that's remarkable. That this is a person who, going through all of these sufferings, all of these difficulties... Maintained hopefulness and joy. How was that possible, right? We all would love that kind of resilience. We all would love to experience that. And at the core, what Paul says he accounts it to is focus, his focus. Now, this past week, I was driving down Horn Springs Road, which is the road that I live off of. And as I was driving down the road, I was trying to listen to something, something that I had been listening to ended, and I decided that I wanted to listen to something else. And so I was going on my phone to switch over to that. And when I looked up, I, my road is two lanes. If you've been on Horn Springs and there's a big curve, I was on the other side of the yellow lines from where I was supposed to be. And there was a car that was coming towards me in the lane that I was now in. And in a split second, I realized that car was my in-law's. And all of a sudden, I was filled with terror. I mean, just immediately and jerked the car back over to the right side of the lane. But as the car was coming closer, I looked up and I locked eyes with my father-in-law. And he was staring into my soul. And the amount of shame that I experienced was unbelievable and I, in that moment, said, I'm never going to pick up my phone again. <laughs> never. My focus is going to stay on the road all the time. Never going to do that. And and maybe you've had that experience, and there's this, like, fear of what could have happened. I mean, just terrifying. Uh, and yet, in the midst of that, thank God that I did look up. That didn't happen. And then, all right, everything's going to be different now, right? And that focus is important in driving, absolutely, but it's, it's important really in, in every aspect of life. The, the focus that we have, where we are focused, not just our mind and our eyes, but our hearts, where we're focused affects the way that we experience all the things, even the difficulties of life. And so Paul is gonna talk about this focus, and, and I want us to notice first in this passage, Paul's focus on promise, Verse 14 says, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. Today, Christians around the world are celebrating Easter Sunday and the historical event that Jesus rose from the dead. And it changed everything. Literally, we date history based on this event. And this resurrection of Jesus changed everything. But it was not just a historical event. What Paul is saying here is that when Jesus came back to life, he was not just resuscitated. Now what is, so resuscitated is different than resurrected. Resuscitated is someone who died and then came back to life. And we see examples in the scriptures as well as through church history of this happening. But what happened with Jesus was was different because the resurrected body of Jesus was not the same kind of body that went into the tomb. The body of Jesus that came out of the tomb was a different kind of body. We see that it moves through walls and yet it can also eat. It can move across time at an impossible pace. So there are elements of the resurrected body of Jesus that resemble Jesus and yet are totally different. And this body is described as an incorruptible body. It's a body that cannot be affected by sickness, that cannot be affected by pain, that ultimately cannot die. This body is the first fruits of new creation. Now, the word first fruits is a word that you may be familiar with, but but this is something that I can't believe how long I have been celebrating Easter and have never really grasped the fact that the resurrection of Jesus took place on a day that already had a festival. Do you know this? Easter Sunday, what we celebrate as Easter Sunday, was a day in the Jewish calendar called the Feast of First Fruits. And I shared this image with you Last week, that the spring feast of Israel, so the Passover was the day when Jesus died. And and originally, that was just one day when the Passover lambs were sacrificed in the temple. The day and the hour when Jesus died on the cross is the sacrifice to pay for our sins. Unleavened bread, this feast of unleavened bread is the timing of the burial of Jesus. And then the resurrection of Jesus took place on first fruits. Now, this festival was to be the first day after the first Sabbath of unleavened bread. And so that just happened to be Easter Sunday. In that year, the way that things were arranged. And the Feast of first Fruits was a festival where Jewish people would take the first sheaves of grain in their harvest. And so you'd sow these seeds They came up out of the ground as these grain sheaves, and they would take them, and they would take them to the priest who would then raise them up as a wave offering. And what is a wave offering? It's not something we think about, but it is an expression of thanksgiving and trust. So it's thanking God for these first sheaves of grain that came out of the ground, the first fruits of the harvest, and yet it's also trusting that there will be a greater harvest just like these first fruits to come. Does it make sense? So this is the context. This first little element of the grain harvest and the expectation of a grain harvest like it to come is the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And what this is saying is that Jesus' body was a expression of what the bodies of those who trust in Jesus will one day be like, that Jesus is going to return, and those who are in Christ, who have trusted in Jesus, and this is a major theme of the scriptures, this may sound really weird to you, but it's all over the place, our bodies will be raised up, incorruptible, glorious bodies, like the body of Jesus. But not only that, that creation itself will be remade like Jesus into a new creation, creation. And this is how Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits in First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty. Uh, we read, "But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep." and then in verse twenty three a couple of verses later, he says, "But each in his own order, Christ, so Christ was risen from the dead first in this new resurrected new creation body afterward." At his coming, right, when Jesus returns, those who belong to Christ. So there is this expectation that just as the first fruits of a harvest were a picture of the greater harvest to come, the resurrected body of Jesus is a picture of what, when he returns, those who trust in Christ will be like the bodies that we will have. And so this reality, this promise, drove Paul through the difficulties in this body that he had now. He calls this body, earlier in in 1 Corinthians, a jar of clay. And he says this, by the way, there's a band in the 90s, a Christian band called that. But he says these bodies are these jars of clay, and what's to come, Paul knew, is this resurrection body. And so that drove him on, that promise of what was to come. But notice, secondly, not only uh, do we see Paul's focus on the promise, but Paul's focus on And he says, so we'll be raised like Jesus and we'll be presented with you. Now, who's you? Well, these are these people who have trusted in Jesus through Paul's testimony. Verse 15, indeed, everything is for your benefit. Everything Paul's doing is for the benefit of these people. So that as grace extends through more and more people, what is grace? It's this Un, we sing about merit, this unmerited favor, this gift of God, that grace ultimately of salvation would extend through more and more people and cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. So, as more people experience this gift of salvation, trusting in Jesus, they thank God, right? They praise God, and God is glorified. and And this is this picture. Paul wanted the harvest. So if Jesus was the first fruit, Paul was a part of this harvest. He wanted the harvest of these people who had trusted in Jesus, who would be raised like him, to be as large as possible, both because of his love for people. He wanted these people to not just live for this tiny little breath called this life, but to live for eternity, right? The resurrection, new creation to come. And so his love for people, he's like, I don't want you just to live for this little gap. I want you to live for the billions and trillion years. To come, but it also not only did he love people and he wants you to live in a resurrection body on a new creation world with him, but he also wants God to be glorified, right? And that people, when they experience this hope, they go, "Thank God!" Right? This is the reality that is out ahead of me, and and this is how Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis. So there's a book called The Weight of Glory, by the way, which is on this passage. And I almost just read the whole thing to you guys this morning. I decided not to. But Lewis describes people this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. Think about that. Culture, civilization, I mean, long periods of time, but these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, exploit. Either immortal horrors, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. And he, he writes about this trajectory. He says, Everybody's on this trajectory, right? We're immortal, we're gonna exist forever. The longest civilization is like the life of a gnat compared to the eternal reality that we will experience either on a trajectory towards immortal horrors, which he ties with hell, or everlasting splendors, which he ties with heaven. And he says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. So we are going through life, not with people who have a few decades, but with immortal Beings is what Lewis is saying. And when we view it that way, we go, okay, I want to affect you in such a way that your trajectory is this immortal splendor, this resurrection reality, this new creation, eternity to come. And and this drives Paul, this focus on people, this view of reality. Notice third and finally, we, we see Paul's focus on permanence, permanence. Verse 16, therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. So outer person, this, again, this is this body. Anybody experience this wasting away reality? All right, thank you for some honesty. So yesterday we had the color run, and it was incredible. Uh, Can we thank Beck Jones and team for leading that event? It was awesome. And I decided I was going to run with my kids because my youngest son, Jackson, who's five, I thought, well, he's going to, there's no way he's going to run a mile. He's going to peter out. And so I'll go with him. So I'm running behind him and he keeps going. And at one point I realized he's not going to stop. And I'm going as fast as I probably can run right now, unless somebody's chasing me. And legitimately, so like my 12-year-old's way up there, you know, next son behind him, Jackson's. Literally, I got beat in a race, and I was not going slow intentionally, I'm telling you, by three all three of my children, including my five-year-old. So that was a moment in time. I'm like, this is this outer man is wasting away. I am pitiful, pathetic. But we experience these realities, and yet what Paul says is, he says, that person, that man, that outer man, is this aspect of of you that is tied to this really short breath of life. But there's an inner person. There's the immortal person. And that person, he says, even though for Paul, as he's suffering, as he's going through the difficulties in this body he's being renewed and strengthened where his inner man this this inner person and that is through faith right and and we see this in first john that is through faith that we latch on to these realities and we're we're focused on the glories to come and there's this renewing and this strengthening that happens and so in verse 17 he says for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely Incomparably eternal weight of glory. And again, that's the the language of Lewis's book. The weight of glory. And the word glory means weight. And what he's saying is the weight. So if you were to to put this on a pendulum, the weight of glory is on the side beyond this life. Does that make sense? The weight of everything in this life. So the greatest glories, the most incredible privileges and pleasures and everything. If you put that on one side, the weight is not in this life. The weight of glory is in the life to come. And, and he says that it is through even suffering in this life for Jesus going without in these different ways that we are storing up. And producing, we're producing. It's, it's even the afflictions, the difficulties that are producing this eternal weight of glory. Now, he's not minimizing the realities of sufferings. or saying that like Christians should just be happy all the time. It's not, that's not at all what he's saying. Because there are difficulties. Paul experiences difficulties. He prays for deliverance. He prays for healing. Uh, Jesus, when his friend dies, what does he do? He cries, he weeps, right? We we see a place for experiencing the realities of pain. So, so not in any way saying that. What Paul is saying is he's saying in comparison. He compares and contrasts. He says in comparison, the very real suffering he goes through in this life is momentary versus eternal, is light in comparison with Weight is affliction compared with glory. You see that? And so he's, he's showing that in a way that gives him strength. He's able to put this in comparison and it strengthens and encourages him and, and it should it, for us too when we're going through these, these difficulties. So, verse 18 we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. What is seen, which is the realities, again, that we assume from a natural perspective, from a fallen perspective, we assume this is all there is. Right? Everything you can see in a petri dish. He's saying that is temporary. It'll it'll wear out just like the bodies that we have. But what is unseen is eternal. And and what he's talking here is not just about physical versus un, unphysical. Is that the right word? Anyway, uh, he's talking about the future world, the new creation, right? There will be a new heavens and a new earth, this this new creation reality, which will actually be more physical. And Lewis is going to make this point than anything. He's going to say, it's not like you're just going to be a ghost. You're actually going to be more real, more physical, more solid than anything in this this life. And and so he talks about this as what drives him and, and, and Lewis in his application because Lewis says, we'll read it and I'll give an explanation. He says, The New Testament has lots to say about self denial, but not about self denial as an end of itself. And that's important. That's Stoicism. And that's not the New Testament. The New Testament is not just telling you to deny yourself for the sake of self-denial because that doesn't do anything right so it's self-denial in in ways sins and things that we we deny our flesh as Paul would call it or things that we sacrifice for Jesus but the point of these he says indeed the point of these is not ultimately self-denial it's about desire and he's going to pick this up desire it's not about self-denial it's actually about a greater desire. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and this is rewards in the life to come, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, never ending joy, right? Beyond anything in this life is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You think about a kid in a slum, right? I've been on trips or I've been in places where there's slums and, and men, they have nothing but they're making mud pies, right? That's what they have, mud and sticks. And, and, and a kid in a slum making a mud pie would be at the very bottom rung of what we can imagine in terms of glory. And yet what he's saying is that's what we're, when we are focused on just the pleasures of this life, just the things of this life, the glories of this life, it's the equivalent of, of a mud making a mud ply in a slum, because we can't imagine what is to come, and that 's the reality like that's the faith dynamic that that in this we can't imagine the greatness of the world in the reality that is to come, and so the holiday at the sea is what he describes, and in his day that's like the most beautiful imagine the most beautiful seaside resort, and all the pleasures that go with that. Right, some of you guys are there in your mind right now. That <laughs> She's there. You can't imagine that. And so you assume, well, I gotta just settle for this. And then what he's saying is that's a bad deal. Does that make sense? That the desires you have are not too strong, but too weak. And, and this is where Lewis goes on and he says, the most pleasurable moments you've had in this life and the most incredible, beautiful moments you've seen. So the most beautiful places, he says, those are just whispers and hints of the real beauty and the real pleasures to come. And and, and I love this. Again, I'm a visual person, but that's what he's saying is the desire that we have right now and the pleasures in this body, they're broken, they're corrupted, and they're short-lived. What's offered to us is so much greater and never-ending. And again, beyond any pleasure we can even imagine. And that's his focus, right? That's Paul's focus. And focus matters. 1 Corinthians two nine, Paul writes, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, nothing you've ever seen, experienced, or even thought of. God has prepared these things for those who love him and that him is Jesus. Here's the deal. God's rigged the system. And he set it up so that those who love Jesus, which is really what this whole thing's about, right? Those who love Jesus Jesus, and they love him so much, they're willing to sacrifice for him, right? You love Jesus, and you demonstrate that love. I'll go without. I'll do this differently, right? That that love for Jesus that drives all of this is what one day will be rewarded with with things that you can't even comprehend right now. And that's the the truth, right? And and, and so this is what, what Easter is telling us, it's inviting us into the kind of, that, that just as Jesus was resurrected, and this new creation body that he had, that that's what's out there in the future when he returns. And, and, and the invitation is for us to focus on that. And we can only do this by faith, right? That's the only way we do this is, is by faith in what Paul calls unseen so how do we get this perspective? And it's two ways. And I invite our band to come on up as we close our time. How do we, this kind of hope, because the hope, because because right now, man, I know we are experiencing difficulties. I know from just walking through things with people in this church, there's pain, there's There's loss of loved ones, there's physical situations you're dealing with, um, pregnancies, losing Sisters walking through just discouragement, and there, there are these real difficulties that, that we're, go, we're 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 experiencing. And the Bible doesn't make light of that. I want to be very clear on that. It's not calling you to, de- to deny. Those realities. What, what it is calling you to is to trust that because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, there's a greater reality that will engulf even those dark and difficult situations. That it that when you entrust your sufferings and your difficulties to the cross of Jesus. You share in his sufferings. That's the way Paul says it, that what's on the other side of that is resurrection and new creation. And and, and so that's what we are. That's the hope that we are invited into today. And so how do we do this? First, trust in what Jesus has done for you, right? This is not about something that you do, right? This is not turn over a new leaf. Try something different. This is trust in what Jesus has done for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you will trust him to forgive you and give you a new life, he will come into your heart and never leave. Jesus Christ died for your sins and if you will trust him to forgive you and to give you a new life he will come into your heart and never leave that's the invitation to trust in Jesus to receive simply through trusting as a gift it's a free gift to receive And the hope of resurrection but secondly not only trust in Jesus but we live in light of this hope today so maybe you've taken this step, but this is an ongoing process. This is not something that just happens on its own. If there's a discipline of trusting in Jesus, of focusing on these hopes. And, and this is something where the church is so essential, where one another, where we can encourage one another. We can remind one another of these truths. We can pray with one another. And, and, and we need one another in this way but we set, we in the midst of our difficulties and struggles, we together set our hope on the hope to come. And so I have a, a few people who haven't asked if you would come to the front, and we're gonna invite just a time of response. Right now as we sing this song, and so if you're here and, and maybe you're just, you're going through difficulty and, and suffering of some sort, and you just want somebody to pray with you, God has chosen to work through other believers and so we invite you just to come and receive prayer. Just acknowledge, yeah, I'm going through this difficulty, but, but I'm trusting the Lord with it. Or maybe you're here and you, and you wanna take the step of trusting Jesus, just as those who showed that publicly through baptism. And you wanna say, I wanna show publicly that I love Jesus, that I commit to him. We'd invite you, we can talk with you about that. Invite you to respond as we sing. Father, we thank you. That because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have hope beyond the grave. We know this life is short in passing. Thank you that what is to come is even greater than anything we can imagine. So I pray that your spirit would give faith even this morning in this room, give eyes to see this truth. I pray that you would bring hearts to the point of trusting in Jesus completely. Lord, that you would give us this hope, this love for Jesus that's never-ending. We ask this in His name. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.